I speak to you in the name of the one holy and living God. 101 years. The Chapel of St. Augustine has officially now entered its second hundred years of life, which is to say that now for over 100 years, prayer and worship have been maintained in this place. In our liturgy, we say, lift up your hearts, we lift them up unto the Lord, let us give thanks unto our Lord God. And in our 1928 prayer book, it is meet and right so to do. It is very meet, right, and our bounden duty that we should at all times and in all places give thanks unto thee, O Lord, Holy Father, Almighty, Everlasting God. Our bounden duty. I found myself thinking about meditating on this phrase, duty, this morning as I've pondered the dedication of this place. Duty is a word we tend to shy away from on the contemporary spiritual scene. We don't want anyone to should on us. Duty is way too heavy and negative a concept. And so in our 1979 prayer book revision, of course, the response has become, it is right and a good and joyful thing. And my experience of worship is often joyful, but not always. And when it isn't, I still show up because it's not always about joy. Sometimes it's simply about offering my bounden duty into the universe. This chapel was, of course, dedicated as a monastic chapel from its start, which means that it always carried the intention of carrying the daily prayers of the church and of celebrating the Eucharist daily. And monastics have always understood, perhaps better than others, that while, yes, we may come to our prayers for joy or peace or intimacy with our beloved, we also come out of duty to God and to each other. A good synonym for duty would be responsibility. And the idea that human beings have a responsibility to offer prayer and praise into the universe, that perhaps somehow our acts of worship are even necessary for the maintenance of the world, well, this is an idea that the contemporary church has largely lost sight of. But the best of our theology and our theology of prayer and worship, has always said that these are not offered just for ourselves, for our own personal growth and development, or for getting that spiritual fix we crave. They're also for the sake of the world. And this is captured incredibly beautifully by Faye Melania in her book, The Quantity of a Hazelnut. She writes, That is why the daily office of the church matters so much. This is a prayer we can offer for the merest stranger, for someone we dislike, for a sorrow we haven't encompassed, a problem we haven't understood. We can offer it for a world of hungry children our hearts are too small to hold, for the unknown victim of a sin we've never even thought of, for peace in a world that fills us with a scared surprise. We can offer it over and over again, 
for people we love and needs we know. Saying the formal psalms and prayers, following in obedience the rich and ordered prayer of the entire church, adding my small voice to its perfect harmony, I turn the whole river of grace toward those for whom I pray. Not I pray for them. Adam, all man, all humanity prays. The whole church prays. The whole Christ prays. Let me remember to find a little time for this, even if it means taking a little trouble. Well, this church was built as a place dedicated to that remembrance, to the carving out of that time and the taking of that trouble. And in doing that work, you all hold that possibility alive for all who come here, but also for all of those who cannot come here. Father Hewson wrote that this chapel was to be a powerhouse. And we can understand that as meaning it's a place we come to be charged, but also a place we come to charge the world, that the world needs this prayer. An online dictionary tells me that dedicate means to devote to sacred use through solemn rites. Well, what exactly is the sacred use that a church is devoted to? One of my favorite answers is inefficiency. <laughs> sacred inefficiency. In a world driven by efficiency, productivity, and profit, the church opens us to a world that refuses to play by any of those rules. In her book, Things Seen and Unseen, Nora Gallagher writes that the life of the church calls into consciousness the existence of a world uninhabited by efficiency, a world filled with the excessiveness of saints, ashes, smoke, and fire. It tells of journeys and mysteries, things seen and unseen, the world of the almost known. It dreams impossibilities. It dreams and possibilities. This chapel, chapel inhabits that world, and it invites all who come here to dream and possibilities. And in the polarized and contracted and sometimes seemingly hopeless landscape we live in, that is crucial work indeed. In the 1979 liturgy for the dedication of a church, the bishop prays, Lord Jesus Christ, make this a temple of your presence and a house of prayer. Be always near us when we seek you in this place. Draw us to you when we come alone and when we come with others to find comfort and wisdom, to be supported and strengthened, to rejoice and give thanks. May it be here, Lord Jesus Christ, that we are made one with you and one with one another so that our lives are sustained and sanctified for your service. May it be here that we are made one with you and one with one another. That's also the work of this place, that which it's dedicated to, to be a place where we become conscious of those two axes, our relationship with God along the vertical arm of the cross, our relationship with God through one another along this horizontal beam 
and of course they meet in the heart. And so I often think of a chapel as a sacrament or an icon of the heart. And I've often thought of this church in particular as that, um, especially when we gather around this altar in a circle. And as the two arms of the circle begin weaving together, meeting at the chalice and the paten, and receiving nourishment, receiving the body and blood of Christ, and then we're sent back out into the world. And so it seems to me in those moments that this church is actually, in a very real and literal sense, the lungs and the heartbeat of the body of Christ. It's where we join the rhythm of the Spirit's breath and heartbeat. And I often imagine that we are, in fact, blood cells within the body of Christ. We come here through this heartbeat, through the daily office and the daily mass, in order to be oxygenated, infused with fresh mercy, and sent back out into the rest of the body. And so I want to end with some words from Julian of Norwich that capture this vision. Julian was, of course, writing in the 14th century, and in one of her visions, she saw the blood of Christ flowing, she says, copiously throughout all creation. She writes, The abundance was like the drops of water that fall off the eaves of a house after a great shower of rain, which fall so thick that no one can number them with earthly wit. This showing was alive and active and hideous and dreadful and sweet and lovely. And then she says, And then it came to my mind that God has made plenteous waters on earth for our assistance and for our bodily comfort because of the tender love he has for us. But there is no liquid that is made that it pleases him so well to give us as his dear worthy blood. For just as it is most plentiful, so it is most precious. And the blood is of our own nature and all beneficently flows over us by the virtue of his precious love. The precious abundance of his dear worthy blood descended down into hell and burst their bonds and delivered all that were there. The precious abundance of his dear worthy blood flows over all the earth and is quick to wash all creatures from sin. The precious abundance of his dear worthy blood ascended up into heaven to the blessed body of our Lord Jesus Christ, and there it is within him, bleeding and praying for us to the Father. And evermore it flows in all heavens, rejoicing in the salvation of all humankind. So she sees Christ's blood circulating through all the realms, hell, earth, and heaven, as if it's coursing through this great interrealmic circulatory system, flowing with love and healing, throughout all the worlds. But for blood to flow, it needs a beating heart. Otherwise, it grows cold and stagnant in our veins. And that is what this place is. It is that beating heart, which brings us back to duty. It's our duty as Christians to keep the heart of Christ beating in the world, flowing mercy to all the realms. And we do that by showing up by lifting up our hearts to God when it's joyful and when it hurts and when it's just simply boring. For it is our bounden duty and the bounden duty of this place to stay true to that work. 
And so here's to the next 100 years of a work that, God willing, will be slow and inefficient and as steady as a heartbeat and as necessary as breathing. Amen.